Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. There, I can hear myself now. Uh, how are you? Good. I feel a little weird this morning, to be honest. It feels like I got an extra hour of sleep, but yet I feel like I maybe stayed up a little later than I should have watching a game, and I feel kind of shaky. It's probably too much candy I ate last night after my kids went to bed, and I, you know. No, but uh, it's really good to be with you guys. You know, this coming week is a big week, isn't it? It's a big week. You know, this, on this Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, you know, our nation is going to elect a number of leaders, a number of leaders, and particularly in this election, you know, we're going to be electing our president and vice president for the next four years. And every, every time this comes around, it feels like a big deal. And it is a big deal. But this year, I think it feels like there's this extra weight on it, right? With everything that our nation has been going through, there's this, this extra weight on it. And I know over the last number of weeks, uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, we watched both presidential debates from beginning to end. We watched the vice presidential, vice presidential debate from beginning to end. And just one of the things I noticed was that basically every question that was asked was kind of the same general question. It was basically the same question of basically saying, how are you going to lead through blank problem, right? How are you going to lead us through COVID? How are you going to lead the economy? How are you going to lead... Healthcare, I, you know, it's kind of the same question. Basically, it was basically saying, hey, which candidate, which one of you is going to be the most resilient in helping our nation solve these problems? Which one of you is going to be the most resilient leader? And that's actually kind of the question I want to talk about today. Not so much about politics, but what does resilient leadership look like? What does resilient leadership look like? We are about halfway through this series that we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And in this series, if, you, if you're not familiar with Joseph, it's a, a good chunk of a story in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible. And so far, we've seen Joseph face a lot of really difficult circumstances, a lot of really difficult circumstances, and yet we've seen him step up to being a resilient leader in every single situation. You know, and if you haven't been here, just to catch up real quick, kind of a quick recap, where we're at in the story is we met Joseph at the beginning uh, of the story, basically at, at age 17 years old, and he is one of 12 sons, 12 sons of Israel, and Israel, his dad, is where we get the nation of Israel eventually, and the 12 boys become the 12 tribes of Israel, if you're familiar with that. But Joseph was number 11, and he was, he was the favorite. He was the favorite son, and his dad didn't hide his favoritism. In fact, he gives them this Andrew Lloyd Webber Technicolor Dreamcoat, and and he kind of wears that around, and his brothers hate him. They hate him for this favoritism that the, their father shows him. So they come up with this scheme. They, they throw him in a pit. They fake his death. They sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt as a slave. And even though he finds himself in this really, really hard situation, we see that Joseph quickly showed himself to be quite the resilient leader. Uh, he becomes the head slave of his master's entire estate and oversees all the other slaves in that home. But then we learn that he was wrongly accused by his master's wife and put in prison, but again he proves to be quite the resilient leader. And he ends up leading in the prison. The warden puts him in charge of running basically the whole prison and, and overseeing all the prisoners. 
And then last week, we learned that while he's in prison, two individuals end up in prison is with him. And those two individuals happen to be the Pharaoh, king of Egypt's servants, uh, the cupbearer and the baker. And while they're there, they have these horrible dreams, these horrible dreams, and they don't know what they mean. And they're, they're confused by these dreams. And so Joseph has a history of interpreting dreams, and so they tell him the dreams, and Joseph tells them what the dreams mean, and they happen exactly like he says they're going to, like to the day, to the detail. And for the baker, it doesn't turn out very good. Uh, but for the cupbearer, he gets to go back to his position with the Pharaoh. He's, he gets to go back serving the Pharaoh. And then two years go by. Two years go by, and Joseph is waiting for the cupbearer to mention his name to Pharaoh. But the cupbearer seems to forget him. He forgets him until the Pharaoh has two disturbing dreams. And the Pharaoh's magicians, uh, and relig- basically his religious leaders, you know, they were magicians. They weren't obviously Jewish, but they, um, they have no idea what the dreams mean. They can't interpret them. And the cupbearer is like, hey, I remember. Back in prison, there was this guy named Joseph who could interpret my dream I had, and it happened just like it, he said it would. And so the Pharaoh said, hey, well, let's get Joseph in here. Let's get him in here. Let's get him in here. And, I, and remember, Joseph has been in prison for a while now, and this wasn't like a five-star hotel prison. This was, would have been pretty a rough place. And so I, this is where I always think it would be helpful to have some pictures, right, in the Bible to imagine what this would have been like. But this is what I imagine. Go ahead and throw that picture up. This is what I imagine Joseph looked like. Yeah, you remember that movie, <laughs> right? Wilson was such a good listener. That's why he was such a good friend. But no, I imagine it looked like Tom Hanks, right, in the movie Castaway, just so disheveled. So they, they, they bring him in, they shave him, they give him a haircut, they give him new clothes, and basically, Pharisee tells him the dreams. And Joseph says an interesting thing. He says, I cannot interpret these dreams, but God can. And this is what they mean. He says, God can do it. And he basically says, hey, you're gonna have, we're going to have seven years of bumper crops. Everything's just going to be amazing. It's going to be like overstock Costco every day, right? But then, then it's going to be seven years of the worst famine we've ever seen. It's going to be like the toilet paper aisle at the beginning of COVID, right? It's like you can't find anything. But, but he says this is, and then he tells him this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Uh, and so that's where we're going to pick up the story. So in Genesis 41, if you have a Bible or Bible app, or we'll have the verses on the screens as well. But this is what we start off in verse 33. This is what we read. And this is Joseph speaking to start us off here. It says this, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. Basically, he's saying, look for a resilient leader. And put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And they should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. And this food will be held in reserve for the country and be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So Joseph lays out this suggested plan to Pharaoh. He says, you need to pick somebody, you need to pick a resilient leader, basically, who can oversee this problem who can take a collection up and collect a lot of the extra and then save it back for the, the, the rough years that are coming. And we keep reading in verse 37. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. 
So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now notice how nowhere in this discussion does Joseph suggest himself. Nowhere does Joseph promote himself. Nowhere does Joseph hand him Pharaoh his resume and say, you know, between 1653 BC and I was the head slave. You know, like he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't promote himself. He doesn't say anything that he's done good, but Pharaoh recognizes something in him. What is it? It's the spirit of God. He recognizes the spirit of God. He recognizes that there's something different about this guy, that this guy seems really, really resilient in his ability to lead. And so it's 41, it says this. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Now again, the significance of robes or clothing in this whole story is really important. A couple weeks ago, Olivia made a joke. She kind of made a joke, but it was, a, it was true. It was, what's up with Joseph and his coats? Right? What's up with Joseph and all of his robes? But it's actually a really important thing in the story. Symbolically, we see that it's a symbol of, of things being taken away from Joseph, of him being humbled, and then him being given back things, him being given back leadership, and him growing in resilience. And we see that chapter by chapter all throughout his life. And then the, the story continues. It says this in verse 43. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Paniah, and gave him Asnath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went out throughout the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, Joseph was 17 when he became a slave in Egypt, then spent a few years being a prisoner in Egypt, and now he's 30. He's 30, and he's been elevated at a young age still to this to the highest level of leadership that really he could ever have had, that anybody could have ever have had, short of Pharaoh. And interestingly, at age 30, there's some significance of that. Do you know who else was age 30 when they stepped into their role of leadership? Jesus. Jesus was 30 years old when his ministry began. You know, we see in here, uh, and actually we see this all throughout Joseph's story, we see almost like a prototype of a greater Joseph to come in the future, a prototype of Jesus to come. Uh, and we see that there is a lot of interesting points and foreshadowing of that in this story. But like Michael mentioned last weekend, if you were here, he said like in 10 minutes, Joseph goes from being a prisoner to a prince, right? All of a sudden he's got the wealth, he's got the girl, he's got the power, he's got this leadership platform. And another way to think of it might be that he goes from prisoner to prime minister, you know, if you ever watched the show The Crown, right? If you've ever seen this, you, know, you got Queen Elizabeth, she's the queen. That's like Pharaoh, but mostly her role is ceremonial for the most part. The day-to-day -day runnings of the nation 
The day-to-day decisions and overseeing everything, that's done by the prime minister. That's done by the Winston Churchills of the world, right? And that's the job that Joseph is given. And we see that he starts it basically immediately. Continuing in verse 46, it says, And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. It's the first thing he does. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. And in each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it. And Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asnath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Manasseh is Hebrew for to forget, to forget. Now, not Joseph doesn't mean he actually forgot it, like he doesn't remember his family and the trouble that his brothers caused, but it's like he's moved past them. God has, God has brought him to a place of healing, a, a place of, of forgiveness, and we're going to read about that later on in the end of his story, not today, but another part in coming weeks. But, but he's, he's healing from it. God's redeemed him from it. It says in 52, the second son he named Ephraim, and he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Ephraim is the Hebrew word for basically meaning twice fruitful or doubly fruitful. And so not only have you, God, have you helped me forget and move past my troubles, but you've also given me these two sons. You've given me double back what was taken from me, double back the life that I used to have. And notice how he gives God credit in both of those things, not Pharaoh. He doesn't thank Pharaoh for those things. He gives God credit for those things. Verse 53, it says this, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. And when all of Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. But then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. And when the famine was spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all of the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Now, this is a crazy story, right? You couldn't write drama like this for TV. And this actually happened. That's the craziest part. Now, a couple of takeaways I want to talk about when it comes to resilient leadership, and what do we see Joseph doing in this passage. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because I believe God is calling you to be resilient leaders in your life. He's calling all of us to be resilient leaders in our lives. Um, You know, you might be a leader at work. You might manage some people at work or be the boss. You might be a parent and be the primary leader in your kids' lives. You might be the, the, a grandparent or a grandfather, you know, or a grandmother. You might be the, the matriarch or the patriarch in your family. Uh, you might be the captain on your sports team or a local council person. But even if you don't have a title of leadership right now, you may someday. And even if you never do, we're all called to be leaders. We're all called to be leaders. Jesus, he called his disciples and he calls those who, you know, us who are Christians, to be leaders. When he said, go and make disciples of all nations, he basically said, he's saying, go and lead people 
to know me. Go and lead people in the ways of the kingdom of God. So we're all called to lead in the spheres of influence that we have. And so I want to talk about four qualities, four C's. They all happen to start with C, uh, about resilient leadership. So uh, yeah, you can go ahead and put up that like diagram. So the first one is competence, not incompetence. That's a, we usually use it that way. But competence, your strengths. What are your strengths? What are the things that God has gifted you in? You know, leaders, they can't do everything. They can't. They can't know everything. They aren't good at everything. You might have had a boss or a parent who thought they could do everything or thought they knew everything, right? But we always know when they're talking and they don't have a clue what they're talking about, right? Uh, You can always tell. But one mistake that many leaders make is trying to be an expert in everything they oversee. It's trying to do that. And the truth is that God has created you uniquely to have certain competencies, to have certain strengths, but he hasn't called you to be good at everything. He's called us to be a body, to be dependent on each other. The only person who's good at everything is, is God. He's the only one who's, who's good at every job. But leaders who make this mistake of trying to be good at everything turn out not to be very resilient at all. You know, let's say you get a promotion at work, right? And now you oversee people and maybe some areas that you're not an expert in. Maybe you don't know a lot in it. You could come in there. You could try to micromanage everything, tell everybody what to do. You're probably going to have people under you who know actually more than you do, and that's going to cause some tension and some frustration. You're going to spend all your time and energy trying to learn new things. And then what you're probably going to do is run out of time and energy to play to your strengths. And you just end up winging those things, and then nothing's going well. Right? Right. Instead, instead, identify the strengths of the, and the competencies of the people you lead, trust them, and then spend your time playing to your strengths. Because that's what Joseph does. Joseph's strengths are managing people and distributing resources. You know, when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, Potiphar noticed that God had favor on Joseph, that he had favor on Joseph in managing things. What does that mean? It means he was good at it. It means he was good at it. It means that he was good at overseeing the house and everything. And then what happens when he gets in prison? The warden notices the same thing. He notices that God has favor on him there as well because he was good at managing all of that stuff. And notice how he goes from a house, managing a household to managing a prison, and now he's managing a nation. Pharaoh noticed the same thing. We read this in verse 39. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh realizes that Joseph is the perfect person for this role. And notice that Joseph, he stays in his lane. He stays in his lane when it comes to his role. He plays to his strengths. You know, he doesn't try to solve this problem by making trade deals with other nations to get all this extra food. He's not a foreign relations guy, right? He doesn't start to experiment with different kinds of crops, trying to find ones that would be more drought resistant or pest resistant. resistant. He's not a scientist. He's a manager. He's an overseer. He plays to his strengths. He does what God has made him to do. So let me ask you, where are you trying too hard? 
Where are you trying to do too much? Where are you spending too much time and energy in the things that God has not called you to? Right? If, you, if there's something that you are spending your time and energy in that God is not calling you to, I wonder if you have enough energy and time left to do the things that he has called you to. That's how God wants you to be. That's how God wants you to lead. He wants you to play to your strengths. The second thing is courage. We see resilient leadership takes courage. Joseph was a prisoner, remember? He was a prisoner, and he's standing in front of the most powerful man in Egypt, really the most powerful man in the world at the time, probably. And he gives him bad news. (laughs) He tells him, hey, there's going to be a great, great famine in the land. That would have taken immense courage. Not only that, he then has the, the guts to tell him, not only is this bad news, but here's what you should do, Pharaoh. You, here's what you should do. Let me tell you, who, you know, this guy who, who's a prisoner is telling the, the most powerful man in the world what to do. That would have taken great courage, amazing courage. But he had learned that courage by going through these really difficult times and trusting God. So what is God calling you to do that you might be hesitating in right now? Because you're afraid. You're afraid of how other people might respond to you. Maybe it's a boss or somebody in leadership over you. You're afraid of what it might result for you, even if you know it's the right thing to do. Joseph had learned through these tough circumstances of being a slave, being a prisoner, to not be afraid of anything, to trust God. So where is God calling you to grab hold of courage and trust in him today? Third, we see that resilient leaders are coachable. They're coachable. God took Joseph's trials and he used them as training. He used them as training. Joseph didn't waste his time as a slave or as a prisoner to become bitter or resentful and to not grow, to stop growing. He saw those tough circumstances as opportunities, as opportunities to grow with God. Imagine if Pharaoh had sent for Joseph and said, I want you to come interpret these dreams for me. If Joseph, over those two years of waiting, if he would have just grown bitter and resentful and said, well, you, you know, I've been waiting here for two years for you. Now I'm not going to help you. you. You solve that problem yourself. You deal with it, right? What would have happened? You know, they would have never prepared for the famine. It would have come. And so many people would have died. Around the world, it would, the, whole, you know, the whole world would have suffered. So let me ask you this. Is there a place in your life right now where stubbornness has taken root? Where resentfulness has taken root? Where it's preventing you from growing in the way that God wants to, to grow you? Preventing you from leading, preventing you from healing from past hurts? Give that to God today. Give that over to God today. Make an exchange with him today and ask him to help you see your trials more as opportunities of training and and invite him into that space. And then fourth, the last thing. The last thing is we see that resilient leaders give credit. They give credit where credit is due. They give credit to other people. They're they're humble. They're integritous. They give credit to other people and others, but they especially give credit to God. God. They especially give credit to God. That's what Joseph does. Joseph, he could have taken advantage of this power that he had been given, this wealth that he had been given. He could have gotten a big head. He could have said, you know, I deserve this. I've earned this. 
I've paid my dues. It's about time I got my fair share, right? This is, my, this is my doing, but he never forgets God. He never forgets God. Interesting, we see that he gives God credit all throughout the story, and especially when he has two sons, he gives God credit. He not only mentions God in the explanation, but by giving them Hebrew names, he's giving God credit. You know, he gives them the names Manasseh and Ephraim, two Hebrew words. And even though he had been fully embraced, fully and completely embraced as an Egyptian, right? I mean, Pharaoh gives him an Egyptian wife. You know, he has the clothing of an Egyptian. He has the jewelry of an Egyptian. He has the chariot of an Egyptian. He even walks like an Egyptian. Yeah, that's a bad joke. All right, no, just kidding. Um, but Joseph must have loved the bangles in the 80s. I don't know. But, um, but he, he gives God the credit because he never embraces the gods of Egypt. Never embraces the gods of Egypt. He always holds on to the God of his fathers. He never gives Pharaoh the credit who was thought of as a god. He never he gives, he gives, uh, he gives his, the Hebrew God, Yahweh, uh, the God that we worship, uh, all the credit. Notice that when he names, when Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name, he gives him the name in verse 45, Zephanath Paneah. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Paneah. But then down in verse 55, when Pharaoh refers to Joseph again later in the story, he doesn't call him Zephanath. He calls him Joseph. He says, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. See, it didn't stick. His Egyptian name didn't stick. J Joseph wouldn't own that. He wanted to retain his Hebrew name because he retained and gave his Hebrew God credit. He gave him credit. That's super significant. Even though, even though he was the most powerful man in Egypt, he didn't take all the credit for himself. He was constantly pointing people to God. He was constantly pointing people to God. So, so here's the question. Where might you have grown a little prideful? Have you seen a little success lately and been, you know, forgotten to give God the credit for that in your life? You know, where, where have maybe you been saying, look what I've done instead of look what God has done? You know, are you humble with those you lead? Are you quick to elevate other people in your life who, who you oversee or, who, or who, you're, who are under you to say, hey, look what they've done. Hey, I, it wasn't me. It was them and them and them. Are we quick to point and, and bless other people at the job they've done? And ultimately, do we point to God? Do we point others to God? Do we give God credit? Does our life, does the way we live our life give God credit and give testimony to the awesomeness and greatness of God. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up now. But I think that God wants us all to grow in being more resilient leaders in our spheres of influence. And we can do that by following Joseph's lead. We can do that by playing to our strengths, by playing to our competencies. We can do that by leading with godly courage, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's a little scary. We can do that by responding to God in coachable ways, by being aware of the trials that we're in and, and looking at them as opportunities to be trained by God. And we, and we can give him credit. 
we can give God praise. We can give God credit for all the things he's doing in our life, for all the ways he's moving and blessing us. Amen? Amen. All right, well, hey, why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up? We're going to enter into a time of worship. And uh, well, then I'll come back up in a couple songs, and we'll have an opportunity to pray for each other and just see what God is doing. But while we worship, let's just give God credit. Let's give God, God credit for the things that he's been doing in our lives. And if you get a, a word or a picture or a thought that you think is maybe for somebody in the, in the room, uh, I'll be over here. I know Vicky's over here as well. I'm just come run that bias. We, we, we definitely want to make space for God to move in that way. And also, it's also a time to take communion with your family, friends, or, or on your own. If you didn't grab that when you came in, uh, you can gra- grab that on the back tables back there and take communion during this time as well. So let's worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.